Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning, people of the Vine and, and other friends who have joined us in worship today. I'm, I'm glad you're here, glad we could be together even virtually. I want to add on to Dennis and Carrie's uh, comments and uh, and just express my gratitude and deep appreciation for them. I've known Dennis and Carrie for a lot of years, and uh, uh, I know their heart for people. And I was glad to see when the council first invited me to uh, come on board as interim pastor that that they were on the church staff, uh, serving the people of the church. Uh, and then after I said yes to this role, I found out that they had already made the decision and the announcement to the council that that they were going to be stepping down from that role, having felt like they had accomplished what they needed to accomplish by the end of September. And uh, and then when I showed up, they very, very graciously offered to extend that time an additional month to, to help me with that transition. And I, I am so grateful to them and uh, appreciate them so much. And I, I hope you'll extend your appreciation to them as well. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, the very first chapter, we get the, the first recorded words of Jesus when he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And I think that the question for us this morning is this one. If God's kingdom has come near, then why is everything in the world so messed up? Well, to help us with this, let's listen to some very important texts of Scripture. And the first is a reading from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, long ago my people went down into Egypt to reside there as aliens. The Assyrian too has oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what am I doing here, says the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away without cause? Their rulers howl, says the Lord, and continually all day long my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And the words of the prophet Isaiah, we are echoes of the voice of God. And so we say, this is the word of the Lord. And now a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This, my friends, is 
the good news, the gospel of the Lord. You know, the language of kings and kingdoms is not foreign to people like us here in the United States, but certainly the reality of kings and kingdoms certainly is. Uh, you know, a kingdom historically and typically is something that's, that's ruled absolutely by a single monarch. And, and we just don't do business that way. Even though our founding fathers considered establishing a new kind of monarchy after they defeated the British, it, it took people like George Washington and some others to sit down and just set up some proper governing bodies. But in Jesus' day, kings and kingdoms were very familiar. The Roman Empire was huge and, and divided into provinces, each with its own governor appointed by the Roman Senate. But some local rulers were allowed to stay in place as long as they understood who the real bosses were. In, in Judah, that southern part of Israel where Jesus lived, uh, Herod and his kinfolk ruled the region, and Herod managed to maintain the title of king. But like all other royal types in that part of the world, Herod ultimately had to submit to the empire. So when Jesus went around talking about the kingdom of God, as he did quite frequently, it was hot-button language. Some might have interpreted his words as subversive and even treacherous when he said the things I've already quoted to you. Listen to it again. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, someone loyal to the Roman emperor might ask, so wait a second, what is this kingdom that you're talking about, this kingdom of God? And what good news are you telling people to believe in? Are you hinting at a rebellion by the Jewish people? And the Jewish leaders themselves would, would truly end up fearing that Rome would assume that a rebellion was in the works because of what Jesus was saying. Even the word that we translate as good news or gospel uh, often had a wartime ring to it. It expressed the idea of a messenger running from the front lines of a battle to inform the commanding officer that the battle had been won. So Jesus' words could have been interpreted as a call to sedition. Kings and kingdoms were subject to the empire. But Jesus was saying that everything was subject to the kingdom of God, including the empire. Now, for the Jewish people, there were probably mixed interpretations of Jesus' words. Some might agree with the Romans that Jesus was suggesting a coming revolution with him as the leader of the rebellion. But others would be puzzled because they figured that the kingdom of God was certainly not near. It certainly was not at hand. And the presence of the Romans was absolute proof of that. If God's kingdom was anything, it was way off in the future somewhere. Well, this may be why most of Jesus' words about God's kingdom were expressed as parables, as illustrative stories taken from everyday life. And our reading from the Gospel of Matthew today is one such parable. It's known as the parable of the sower or the parable of the weeds. The stage for the story is a field that has been planted with wheat seeds. Now, the, the seeds would have been broadcast by hand, scattered everywhere rather than in, in neat, tidy little rows. So once the job is finished, everybody can get cleaned up, they can have dinner, and then go right to bed because it's dark. 
But then some rascal comes along and does some scattering of his own, broadcasting weed seeds all over the field. The inedible grasses that would sprout, also known as tares, looked a lot like wheat at first, but later would become distinct from the wheat once they matured. Nevertheless, the presence of the weeds would make harvesting very difficult. The farmer's servants, who were apparently good at distinguishing wheat from weeds, figured this out when things started sprouting and suggested that they go out and remove the weeds. And of course, on the surface, this actually makes a lot of sense. If you do any gardening at your house, you know that getting rid of weeds as soon as they sprout is a really good idea since the weeds compete with your vegetable plants for water and nutrients. But the farmer realizes that annihilating the weeds is a problem because of the way that all the seeds, both good and bad, were sown. With, With all the plants crowded together in the field, Pulling up the weeds would damage the wheat and probably ruin the entire crop, which might have been the enemy's idea in the first place. So he tells them just to let it all grow. Good seeds, the bad seeds, the wheat and the weeds, and they can sort it all out at harvest time. Now, some have figured that this story is about people and how at the time of God's final judgment, the good folks will be separated from the bad folks that's not really happening that way in the story. Think about this. The coming of God's kingdom doesn't create human beings. It comes into the already of human existence. The good seed isn't people. The good seed is God's goodness. It's God's grace, God's reconciling of the world to himself. And the seed is is scattered. It's broadcast everywhere in the field. The seed, uh, the seed isn't planted in these stingy little rows. It covers the entire field. Now, whoever this enemy person is in the story, he seems to understand something about fertile soil. It can be the environment for good things to grow, but it can also provide accommodations for bad things. The enemy probably figured that he had ruined everything by forcing the farmer to take a heavy-handed approach to the problem by yanking the weeds out of the ground and wrecking his good crop in the process. But the farmer doesn't fall for it. He does not do that. He lets the wheat and the weeds occupy the same space together. And then he plans to sort things out later when it's clear what is wheat and what is a weed. This parable is an important and stunning picture of what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of God's kingdom being near or being at hand. Like the seed in the hand of the farmer, the kingdom comes from the hand of God. Now, I I know that we sometimes say that we Christians build or we advance or we expand God's kingdom, but we don't really do any of those things. The kingdom is God's. And he pours it out generously into the world, like seed scattered broadly over a field. And we, we who follow Christ, are called to participate in the life of that kingdom. Now, the bad seeds in the story are important as well. In the Psalms, don't we often hear cries to God, wondering why he doesn't just wipe out all the wicked people who who keep giving Israel problems? It's really the question that many have asked. 
if God is good and if God rules over everything, then why are there still these problems in the world? Why is everything messed up? Why are there bad people? Why is there evil and sickness and death? Well, what the parable of the sower shows us is that all goodness comes from God. The enemy in the story isn't identified, so we don't know if Jesus was referring to Satan or to mean people in general, or if Jesus was just using the enemy character as a, as a literary device to explain where the weeds came from. Regardless, the story is clear. The goodness of the kingdom comes from the hand of God, and everything that isn't good comes from somewhere else. But that doesn't really satisfy the cry for justice, does it? Sure, everyone understands about the presence of evil in the world, but why does God tolerate it? Why doesn't he eliminate it like a farmer yanking weeds out of the ground? Perhaps it's because good and evil both find fertile soil in all human hearts. If you try to surgically remove the cancer of evil with an assault on the body, you're likely to lose the patient in the process. And yet, even with the pervasive reality of evil in the world, God generously broadcasts the seeds of the kingdom everywhere. In the end, he'll sort everything out and evil will be destroyed. In our Isaiah reading today, the prophet recognizes the evil of oppression that has come upon the people of Israel. And yet, he he points ahead to the intentions of God to set all things right when he paints the picture of a messenger who climbs up the mountains to declare, right in the face of oppressive circumstances, the good news that Israel's God reigns. It, It doesn't matter that the kings of other nations have overrun Israel and deported the people. It is God who is the true ruler of the world, and he will bring his purposes to bear in his own time. One of the things that the harvesters in Jesus' parable would have discovered is that regardless of the invasion of the weeds, the wheat would prevail. The wheat would still grow. The farmer's purposes would not be stopped. The weeds were real, and and they would make things difficult, and they were overall a great big nuisance, but they didn't have the power to destroy that which was good. All they could do was get in the way and try to mimic healthy wheat. In the end, the weeds will be exposed for what they really are, a fruitless caricature of the healthy wheat, and they'll be done away with. The goodness poured out so generously by the hand of God cannot be overcome by evil. It is God's goodness that exposes evil for what it really is. Once the harvest is ready, the the true nutritious nature of the wheat will expose the invasive weeds and the contrast will be clear. When Jesus was condemned to death by his enemies, even as he let them have their way with him and then prayed that they might be forgiven, evil, suffering, and death were actually successful in their work, just like the weeds growing in the field. And all that was evil seemed to have won the day when Jesus died. The people set out to kill Jesus, and they achieved their goal. But in Jesus' resurrection, the power of evil was exposed as the fraud that it was. 
let me try to explain what I think this has to do with us. First of all, God's kingdom is not an abstract theological idea. According to Jesus, the kingdom is real. It's already present in the world and will one day be fulfilled when God sets all things right. Secondly, the reality of God's kingdom is demonstrated by his people as they respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the church, as an agency of the kingdom, matters in the world. You see, the the church is like an embassy in a foreign country. The, The embassy represents its own nation, and when you walk into that embassy, no matter where it's located in the world, you are in the equivalent of that embassy's country. Our church, like all churches, is an embassy of God's kingdom. It's the people through whom God's goodness is made known to all, from one end of the field to the other. And we are God's emissaries, and we bear witness to God's ongoing work in the world. We have a story about God's goodness to talk about and a story that informs our shared lives and and speaks into our ministry to one another and to the world. We don't have to open our eyes very wide to recognize evil and all of its ugly manifestations in the world. And the way that evil is exposed is for God's goodness to be made evident, to be identified and proclaimed and demonstrated. Somebody's feet have got to run up that mountain to yell out the good news that our God reigns. And that somebody is us. You know, maybe some of us have been struggling to come to grips with the reality of God's kingdom in the midst of the difficulties that we've been facing this year. It's easy to identify what we think are the opposites of those difficulties and then claim that those opposites are what characterize God's goodness to us. But Maybe that's allowing the problems of our time to be the definers of what is truly good. The kingdom of God is not a reality that just sort of runs parallel to the rest of the world. It is an alternate reality where God's goodness and God's grace and love are made evident and demonstrated through the life of the church. And I am aware that the life of the church is currently one of our big struggles. How do we demonstrate the reality of God's kingdom when our ability to gather together is so limited, when jobs have been lost and the strain of trying to do school and work remotely feels like it's grinding away at our souls? Well, these are valid questions. I certainly don't want to minimize them. But for myself, I've I've just recently found help in something that I read on our church website. It, It comes under the heading of mission, and it offers three goals for the people of the vine all crafted as journeys. There's the upward journey, being with Jesus. There is the inward journey, becoming like Jesus. And and there's the outward journey, doing what Jesus did. In the upward journey, we orient ourselves in worship toward the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the inward journey, we seek to be formed and shaped and comforted comforted by the Holy Spirit as as the people of God. And in the outward journey, we seek to be attentive to the ongoing ministry of Jesus in the world and to look for how we put our hands to that work. 
These are important goals for us in, in good times and bad, in times of freedom, in times of restriction. And you might find yourself more deeply engaged with, with one journey over others right now, and, and that's okay. Regardless of our circumstances, the kingdom of God has come near, and we're called to turn right into it. The people of God have always weathered difficult times by remembering who they really are. Jesus claimed that his kingdom was not of this world, and and he was right. His kingdom is in the world, but it doesn't take its cues from the world. And we remember who we are in the economy of God's kingdom by looking upward, inward, and outward. Those are the journeys where we find Jesus at work. They are the journeys that guide us into the generous, far-reaching goodness of God. And let's now together open ourselves up to the God who has always loved us and who extends to us his forgiving grace even before we ask. And so together we pray. Father God, you are the one who leads us from darkness into light from captivity into freedom, from anxiety into peace, from despair into joy. Yet we long to break free, choosing independence, convinced of our own wisdom, forgetting your love and grace. Forgive us, draw close to us, embrace us once again in your loving arms and enable us to follow you in worship and grateful service each day of our lives. Amen. And now, may the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his Spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord.